Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to a Believe podcast. I'm your host, John Hoshaw. This is the Guitar Life. My special guest today is a solid professional guitarist, Bob Hawkins. Bob's also a great teacher. When I say he's had thousands of students and done thousands of gigs, it almost seems impossible. I hope you enjoy our conversation. get started sure oh wait a second here my check one two let me get my microphone so okay so i'll be hearing myself with a nice clear mic and i'm going to have to accept the fact that i'm using a telephone to uh, speak to you you know so or to hear you which is a little unfair so have you done it this way before yeah yeah i did a uh, uh, jimmy haslip uh, interview <laughs> his computer crashed <laughs> I, I don't get it. I guess I'm blowing up everybody's system, you know. <laughs> oh, this this will work fine. Let let me uh, let me ask or let me just uh, start by uh, a little story, okay? Sure. So uh, we both have played at the Festival of Arts, right? They have that beautiful uh, yes sort of the, entrance. Nice. Yes. Yes. What would you call it? Uh, the foyer or whatever they whatever they call that? I guess a foyer is technically an enclosed space. I guess I don't know. Well, yeah, it, entrance works for me. <laughs> well, well, you know, you got to pull your car up and uh, park in the yes. loading zone, and then hurriedly yes. un- unload your stuff. So when I pulled up, I could hear uh, this music, right? And I hear mm-hmm. this. I hear this guitar playing, and I say, "Oh my God, who's that? That, <laughs> that guy sounds fantastic, right?" So I, I know that you're going to stop soon because the next band, which was my group, we have to set up, and then you guys tear down. So I'm, I'm there in the loading zone. I'm listening to the guitar music, and I'm, and I'm packing up my stuff. You know, I'm not packing up, unloading it hurriedly. You know, so I can go and hear this guy play the guitar, right? <laughs> And so I'm running, I'm running to get to the stage with my cart and all my equipment, you know, loaded up. And it was you. I said, oh, my God, it's Bob Hawkins. <laughs> so it's kind of funny because I had already known you for a while, but I never really heard you in uh, that kind of setting. And uh, it was really fantastic. You were playing such great uh, music. Uh, wow. Well, that's, that's a high compliment. Coming from you. Well, well, look, you got to understand, you know, it's like certain musical situations. A guy is, a re- you know, he's got to improvise. He's got to create solos. I might right. have seen you before where you were backing up a singer or you were playing in a much more, uh, you know, defined role right. where you weren't allowed to kind of like just lash out like that. Right, right, right. But here you were, you were playing almost like a fusion, a modern kind of fusion rock kind of setting, and you're just letting your guitar solos fly, right? Yeah. And uh, you were yeah. outstanding. So I really I really got uh, a, a, a surprise, a, a pleasant well, surprise. <laughs> that's, that's, really, uh, that's really nice to hear, you know, coming from you. You know, it's funny, and you, you can probably relate to this, you know, a, an audience situation can bring out different things, you know, when you're playing. And it, uh, for me, if I have even three or four people who are really listening, uh, I get inspired, you know. I want to respond to that, uh, to their attention. Right. And I'm sure you feel the same way. And, and, and then if you've got 150 people out there or 250 or whatever, a 1,000 who are into it, that can just up 
the excitement level and your one's desire to respond in kind, you know. Yeah, you get supercharged. <laughs> yeah, you get supercharged. And, I, and I, maybe I had one of those moments, one of those rare moments, you know, where it all came together and you just happened to pull up at that moment and yeah. you're like, oh, wow. Yeah, no, I was blown away. I mean, I heard this, uh, I'm not going to uh, say you play like anybody else, you have your own style, but I heard this guy, uh, uh, I go, who is that? Is that, uh, is that Clapton? Is that Al Timiola? Is that, uh, you know? Okay, now, John, you're, you're down. <laughs> now, 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 it was good, Bob. I mean, I mean, I'm just picking <laughs> styles here, you know. <laughs> but, no, uh, I, I got it. Yeah, uh, yeah, no, it was great. My head yeah. is expanding. My head is expanding right now. Yeah, so, well, that's uh, good, because I want your head to expand while we're doing this interview. <laughs> um, how many gigs you think you've done in your life? Oh Lord, I have a, that. That thought has occurred to me, uh, as probably it has for you from time to time when you think back through the years. But I mean, it's in the thousands, of course. And I and uh, I don't know if I can put a number on it, but you know, and uh, probably in the last. 15, 20 years, I've been averaging 150 gigs a year, you know, so I don't know. I'm not good at math, but, you know, like you, it's probably in the thousands, and uh, which is kind of mind-boggling, um, but a lot of gigs. Yeah, you get, let's say you get into a band and um, you're famous and you do uh, two tours a year, you know, that are big you know, where you do two, right. two 30 city tours a year, and then you're back, you know, you're back at your uh, flat, you know, uh, trying to think of what the next album's going to be, and you're spending time, uh, you know, trying to come up with another uh, creation to popularize your band, and then you go out and do, a, you know, big city tours, you know. But mm -hmm. the, ki the kind of uh, work that you're talking about, you're gutting out uh, living with the guitar, and you, you need work, and you just do all kinds of things with a guitar, like teaching, for example. How many right. how many students do you think uh, you've taught? <laughs> <laughs> I haven't asked yet. anybody these kind of questions before, Bob, but I know you're the perfect how, candidate. So, how, how many angels reside on the head of a pin, right? <laughs> uh, That's you funny. know, I mean, gosh, uh, you know, in the in the heavy teaching days for me, and I know that's not as heavy load-wise, it is for some guys, but I was doing 35 and 40 a week. Now, I know some cats that are doing 65 a week, you know. Mm. I couldn't I couldn't do that, but, um, uh, you know, uh, that's probably, you know, we're probably approaching the, uh, the, the thousand yeah. mark, yeah. you know, somewhere between seven and hundred and a thousand. I don't know, you know, it's, uh, that's a question that I've never asked myself. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Yeah, mind boggling. <clears throat> yeah, it is. Um you know, I'll run into people occasionally and they say, Hey man, how you doing? You know, I haven't seen them. I don't and I they look vaguely familiar to me. Or maybe not familiar at all. And they say, Man, I really enjoyed those lessons we did. <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well so Yeah, I had a student call me uh out of the blue, uh, hey, this is Sarah. I think that was her name, Cheryl or Sarah. She says, hey, remember you used to give me guitar lessons uh, back in Bustleton in West Australia. <laughs> and oh, I go, wow, wow that's like, uh, <laughs> that's in the, like 1981, 82 or something like that. She says, yeah, well, I, I'm at the University of Utah and I just got my, uh, you know, like master's degree in classical guitar. You know, it's oh, like, wow. I go, my God, what are you talking about? She says, well, I took it all the way, you know. Uh, I mean, I showed her some basic uh classical guitar lessons when she was like 12 years old or something like that yeah. and there she was getting her uh, degree in music you know you never and know isn't, <clears throat> that's fantastic i mean and isn't that one of the joys of teaching you know where you you have somebody that you planted some seeds with and then they take it on to the next level and the next level and the next level and they make it a career or they become a teacher themselves that's a fantastic thing, and you realize that you've had an influence in a positive way on somebody. Yeah. Really, really fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's the joy, the joy of teaching. Yeah. So, so yes. like, uh, who were uh, some of your influences when you were really young? You know, when you got the bug to be a guitar player, how did that? How well, did that spring? You know, how did that come well, about? I, 
Yeah, I think my main influences, if I, I mean, the first names that come up for me, uh, and it wasn't it wasn't an individual guitar player necessarily, but um, the Stones and the Beatles. I mean, I, I can't deny that. And like a lot of other guys of my generation, they were highly uh, inspirational. And then, you know, if you dig down into those two bands, of course, George Harrison, I always liked, I always liked his approach, you know, kind of the tasty licks and, and a solo, short solo, in a very supportive uh, attitude. That I admired greatly. And I think mm-hmm. maybe uh, because of my personality, you know, I'm not necessarily a natural front guy. I love the idea of being part of the team, of being able to step forward and make my contribution and then recede into the background and be part of the fabric, you know. Mm-hmm. A true um, band member. <laughs> a true band member. That that really appealed to me, you know, that 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 particular approach. And uh and I thought he epitomized that. Um mm-hmm. but just on an overall musical level, those guys definitely inspired me. I mean, there's a lot of other bands and guitar players that I gravitated towards. I mean, I think my, of our generation, maybe Hendrix had to be one of the, you know, the big bright lights, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and certainly Clapton and that whole English Invasion crew. There was a lot of great players back. And, um, yeah, you're, you reminding know. Me, you're reminding me of what Clapton uh, spoke about when uh, Cream disbanded, you know, when he was no longer in Cream. They're asking him, uh, "What are you doing?" You know, he says, "I'm trying to be a good band member." You know, he's he wanted <laughs> wow. to be part of other groups. You know, Delaney and Bonnie and uh, Blind right. Faith. You know, he wanted to do things that weren't so, uh, you know, guitar hero orientated type stuff. Well, I guess. yeah, remember the whole thing that was emblazoned on the you know the walls and the uh, the, the tube stations in London. Clapton is God. Yeah, right there you go. And, and I. You can see where, yeah, you can see where he, at some point, he went, you know what? This Guitar Hero thing is fun, but, man, I just want to be... Handcuff be you. a band. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's to his credit, you know? Yeah. Yeah, lifetime lifetime career needs a lot of versatility. So, mm-hmm. um, besides these great uh, bands that influence you and musicians, what about... Uh, any family members or relatives, you know, that uh, gave you a guitar or were also musicians? Or how, how did it, how did well, it uh, come about? There is there is some of that in the bloodlines. My my uh, my dad, although he didn't play an instrument, was always crooning around the house, and uh, I always like to say he he had a very Perry Como like tone. <laughs> okay, good singer. Yeah, yeah he, he could carry a tune, and my mom could sing, but she also played the piano. Oh, there you and, go. Uh, she, uh, whenever she got near a piano, you know, then the, uh, the, some of the old polkas and stuff would come out, you know? And, uh, so there was that. And, and I, I've since learned that on both sides of my family, there were musicians, you know, amateur musicians, nobody that, uh, was a professional, but there is that thread that runs down mm-hmm. both, both, uh, family. Well, when you say amateur musicians, uh, what do you mean? Who, who were they? <laughs> Well, uh, they never they, they never did it for a living, you know. Mm-hmm. My my mom's brother was quite. Uh, he was a multi instrumentalist. He played, uh, okay, uh, you know, different horns and stuff. Uh, I think my dad, one of my dad's brother, was a drummer briefly in his life. You know, did you so, get to hear these but, people play? I mean, when you were no, a kid, I never did. No, because oh. I we we moved west pretty uh, early on, so a lot from of from where. Well, I was born in Illinois, and my folks were from Michigan. Okay. And uh, we lived around the Midwest, uh, actually lived in Kalamazoo, Michigan, of all places. Because my <laughs> Yes, now this is interesting. Both my grandmothers lived in Kalamazoo, so okay. we used to visit there. Of course, this was long before I ever played the guitar, and I wasn't aware of the Gibson connection at all until years later. But I kind of chuckle about that, because... Kalamazoo was a place that uh, that actually I did live for a while when I was young. My parents moved there for a brief time, but we we kind of left most of that midwestern based family and came to California uh, early on, back in the 1950s when my dad was in the Marine Corps. And so um, so yeah, I didn't get to hear <clears throat> excuse me, I didn't get to hear much in the way of any of my relatives in their musical uh, uh, pursuits, you know. 
Mm-hmm. But um, your dad, he's sort of a, a bohemian-type guy. I'm saying that because uh, you told me that you were going to go visit him, and he was living out near Borrego somewhere. He I mean, still is, John. He's, I was just down there on Monday. <clears throat> My dad will be 98 in January. And, you know... I, I is it Borrego that, or Salt Lake? I mean, where, where no, is he? Borrego Springs, yeah. Wow. Um, the funky little Borrego Springs. And, and uh, yes, it's funny. He was a pilot in the Marine Corps. And he had, by the time he was 30, he had lived a pretty full life. You know, mm-hmm. he had uh, two wars. Uh, he was a prisoner of the Chinese communists. I mean, he, he had a full life. In that first 30 years, you know. But it's amazing he's still with us because he's been through so much. He had a terrible helicopter accident when he was 46 uh, that ended his flying career. But he's lived 50, uh, what, 53 years beyond that or something, you know. So uh, wow, it's, it's astonishing, yeah. But I've, I've learned in recent years, I mean, I always knew that he had a, uh, he, wa- he wanted to be a, an architect when he was, younger that was something <laughs> i learned yes and he's an amateur <laughs> painter and he's an amateur painter and he's still doing that to this day oh that kept him going think, come on i think it's what keeps him getting up in the morning yeah you know on the on the good days he can sit down in front of a canvas on the bad days he can't get out of bed you know but yes, you see you see that you see that 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 influence there on you that's this is the thing i'm trying to dig out so your dad yes. is inspired by the arts you know inside yes, of himself and Somehow that got instilled in you to uh, mm-hmm. push you push you forward. I'm starting to see how this all comes together here. I think he's at a blues lecture at Chapman College. This is John Hoisenstein. My special guest is Bob Hawkins. This is a Believe podcast. You're listening to The Guitar Life. Please subscribe if you're enjoying our show. Thanks. Yeah, and my younger brother, Phil, is a, uh, uh, has a, is a drummer. And uh, not, as a voca- not as a career, but he's, uh, it's an application, and he still drums. And so that, yeah, that thing is there, that, that artistic... Uh, you know, streak is definitely there. Cool. So, do you brother, you guys get to jam? Was he? Did he develop we, enough to keep up with you on the guitar? Well, we haven't played in recent years, but in that way, way back, and uh, he was in my first garage band. You know, so we have done gigs and we played together. Yeah. Oh, there you and, go. Uh, you guys had that bond then. Yes. That would have been definitely. fun. Yeah, I've never done that with my brothers, but I've done it with my kids. Uh, you know. Some of my kids are musicians, so we did gigs together and all that. It's, it's yes, fun to play yes. with your family. And, you know, it was so funny. I'd be out doing these gigs, and then we wouldn't have a bass player, right? And I go, well, <laughs> the only bass player I know is my daughter, Rachel, who's not, I know she's not doing it. So I'd, get, I'd go, Rachel, I need you to come and play this gig with me. And at the gig, everybody would be cheering for Rachel. It would be like, <laughs> I go, wait a minute, this is my band. I'm, I'm, you know, but the fact that she was up there and she was my daughter, yeah. and it was a family thing. People really like, uh, they oh, jump for joy yeah. when they found out that she was my daughter. And, you know, it's like. And as I recall, and I haven't heard her play in many years, she was quite a good bass player. You know, she got a scholarship to play bass at USC. So uh, well, there you go. She had to she had to audition for Joe DiOrio. <laughs> No kidding. Yeah, wow. Jody Oreo was the staff, uh, you know, guy conducting the audition, and she said it took thirty seconds. <laughs> she That's walked great. in with this big uh, pile of sheet music, you know, in, in the in the Laguna High uh, jazz band. They go through all those charts, you know, and there's some mm-hmm. great musicians that came out of that band, by the way, uh, mm-hmm. Billy Moeller and Nate Woods. And right. these kids come out really ready to, you know, ready to be professional musicians, right? 
Mm-hmm. So she mm-hmm. walks into the audition with a, a big stack of sheet music under her arm, and, and <laughs> they say, this is funny, well, we see that you can read music. You know, they didn't even, you know, ask her if she could or, or prove that she could read you know, they didn't say, well, put the sheet music in front of you and, and play something, you know. <laughs> they said, mm-hmm. well, we can see that you can uh, read sheet music, but can you play the blues? <laughs> <laughs> she said, oh, yeah, my dad and I, we played a lot of blues together, you know. And 30 seconds later, she had the uh, scholarship and she got into USC, so it's... Oh, that's it's, fantastic. It's kind of funny, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, hey! So, so we were talking about uh, childhood bands. So, when did the uh, the professional, uh, you know, Bob Hawkins start saying, "Hey, I can make some money playing in these uh, odd groups uh, here and there at a talent show at a, you know, uh, battle of the bands." Uh, how many how many kind of rinky tinky gigs happened before you started lashing out as a pro? <clears throat> well, we certain you know the Garage Band bands that i had we we did those battle of the bands and i'll never forget uh we did one it was a khj battle of the bands with sam riddle (laughs) does this ring a bell oh uh, my god of course yeah this was in the in the late 60s uh and it was at the it was in a theater downtown santa Ana. yeah big deal i'll never forget it was it was quite you know, intimidating. But, yeah, so I did those in high school dances and stuff, you know. And But when you do a high point, school dance, you get paid, right? We did get paid. Yeah, that's what I'm I talking about. Money generates a certain sort of awareness, I think. Yeah, I mean, I didn't think of myself as a professional at that point, even though we might have been getting $15 a piece or something. I don't know. Um, but it was probably when I uh, got into college, and I started going to college. I uh, went to Cal State uh, Fullerton. And oh, I realized, yeah. um, although I, I enjoyed the experience, I realized I just I wanted to play music. And so uh, at that point, I started picking up the acoustic guitar because I actually started on the electric. And, mm-hmm. uh, and I started doing some kind of, quote, coffee house, unquote, type gigs. And uh, got a duo going with a, a friend, and that that duo actually turned out to be a working unit. We we worked together for probably seven or eight years as wow. an acoustic duo. That's a long time, you know. And when I moved to Laguna Beach in the early seventies, then that really kind of took off because there were several places down here on the coast, not just Laguna, but Dana Point and San Clemente. Mm-hmm. that I started working at some of the dinner houses and that kind of thing and got into a, a fairly regular grind of gigs, you know, three gigs a week kind of thing mm-hmm. um, for quite a few years, you know? Well, that, so, that'll sharpen your uh, music awareness. Having, yes. to, having to play uh, night after night, uh, working up material, uh, trying to make one right. song that you've played 500 times sound better. You know, <laughs> yes, right. isn't, that, isn't that the truth of it? It is, and and trying not to be bored by yourself at you know after having played it for five hundred times, yeah, do something a little different with it, or yeah. I, I remember there's this uh, guy in uh, in Australia, a very famous guy who I'm going to interview. Real, he just got to me the other day. His name is Ian Moss. And mm-hmm. uh, I go, God, Ian Moss, he's so famous. Um, maybe he'll play one of my songs. <laughs> so, so I said, hey, Ian, I have this original song. Uh, and he goes, yeah, uh, just send it to me. I'll give it a listen to it, mate. You know? And I, he didn't sound very enthusiastic. And he, he could hear it in my voice. You know, he said, listen, if I like it, you know, I'm going to have to sing it a million times. <laughs> 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 I didn't. You know, it didn't dawn on me. And when you think about it, a guy like that who's very popular, uh, mm-hmm. if he starts playing a song and the audience likes it, he's he's. It's like a noose around his neck. You know, he's going to have. stuck with it. That's he's, right. Yeah. So so uh, so here you are. You're you're in a. a co- you, you, we might want to call it a little uh, acoustic duo or a trio, whatever you were doing. But you're faced with that. You're faced with having to grind it out. You know. Uh, Right. Make it, make it uh, musical, make it interesting, because that's what the fans are not going to, or the people that are listening are not going to like it, unless you like it. You know, you can't right. get up there all grumpy. You know, and yeah, and that's the thing, and you know this. Once you get a little something going, a unit, a band that, that's working regularly, you gain an audience, and and people come with certain expectations, and uh, and that's great. You know, you realize that you've struck a chord with people, literally and figuratively, and. Mm-hmm. 
but then you have a responsibility. You know, it's like oh, you got to keep keep it alive. You know, you got to keep keep them coming back. You know, and that, <laughs> that can be a bit of a trap sometimes because then you may find yourself playing some of the songs you don't particularly care for, but people keep requesting. You know, yeah, of course, it's still part of the game. Yeah. I've okay. gotten much more philosophical about that in my my later years. You know, I don't I don't resent that the way I used to. Mm. You know, oh God, we got to play this one again. You know, it's like okay, no, that's cool. People want to hear it. You know, and I can find a new way to make it interesting for me. Yeah. You know? Oh, I was bad at that for a while. Ooh. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. go here comes this here comes this uh, lady. She's going to ask me to play Stevie Ray Vaughan. Yeah. You know, oh God, oh, here she God. comes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so so um, that's that's really interesting. So, when did it morph into more of a, a you know a band where you're working with drummers and bass players, and you know it starts well, to really like become a real like legitimate band type thing? Well, that duo did uh, occasionally morph into a larger band. We'd add players like uh, that duo. Often, my brother would play drums with us. Um, you know Doug Miller. Well, Doug Miller joined that unit at one point, and we worked as a trio and then sometimes as a quartet with drums. Um, and my partner switched from acoustic guitar to bass, so all of a sudden we had bass, guitar, drums, and violin. You know, and um, that would have been but, fun. But you know, but 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 I started out. I mean, the Garage Band thing was was a full on bass, drums, two mm-hmm. guitars kind of thing right from the get go. But uh, what kind of material were you doing? I'm sorry. What kind of material were you doing? What were you playing musically? Oh, well, that that acoustic duo that kind of morphed. No, into, no. When you were doing the band thing, you oh, know, we were doing when you first started out the, the songs, Stones, Stones and Beatles, and one of the guys was really into that band, Love. Oh, uh, I so used we to, did. I used to love great, them. <laughs> yeah, they're a great band. So we did several of their tunes. Um, and some of the other, you know, hits of the day, be they a kink song, you know, or a sure. Who tune or that kind of thing. You yeah, know? the foundation I mean, of rock dances, music. Yeah. At high school dances, you had to have kind of a handle on, you know, uh, an array of those popular uh, tunes that were danceable, for sure. For sure. Yeah, that's that's great. So, so now, how did Laguna come about? I mean, you ended up in Laguna... Um, well, you, you came from the Midwest. You guys moved out here. What happened? Back to my dad. We'll okay. Circle back, back to my dad. When my dad joined the Marine Corps, uh, and went to flight school. He came west to do uh, his some more training at what was El Toro Marine Base. But they didn't have uh, proper uh, facilities to house all the officers at the base. So they put officers up in local hotels. Sorry, that was the wind blowing a door shut. <laughs> That's cool. Okay. Um, they put the officers up in different hotels around the region, right? My dad got a, a lucky draw, and they put him up at the Hotel Laguna for three and a half months. So, okay. And, and that was before he shipped over to the South Pacific. This was 1944, and that's when his you know World War II experience began. But how old were you then? How old was my dad? You weren't then? born yet, right? No, I wasn't born yet. Yeah. Okay. Um, but he was 21, uh, lieutenant, and the, put up in a hotel in Laguna, and he fell in love with Laguna Beach. So when many years later, when we came west. One of the places he wanted us to see was Laguna Beach. And I'll never forget driving down Coast Highway. I have a very vivid picture in my memory bank of seeing the greeter, Eiler Larson, standing out on Coast Highway with that big wooden staff he had. And he had long hair and a beard. And you didn't see that that much in 1955, you know. Uh he was, so he was a striking figure, and I thought, this is a very interesting town. <laughs> <laughs> this is different here, you know? I got so that, the same thing when I drove through Laguna the first time in my life. I saw the greeter, and he looked straight through me. Yeah. He saw me, and he looked straight through me and pointed as our car was flying by him. I said, what the in hell's name was that? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> he He's an intense guy, and uh, and you can see why people really gravitated towards him because he, he was charismatic, and uh, yeah. and you know again he had a, a 
an appearance that was out of the ordinary for that time. Now you don't look twice at a, guy, a long-haired, bearded guy walking down the street. Maybe if he had a large wooden staff, you would. But um, yeah, I've got one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Somebody gave me one at a gig. Talking about it. <laughs> um, so that was my introduction by way of my dad. And so, wow. I, it, you know, it was a place I'd come down to on weekends when I was in high school. I went to Tustin High, not d- far down the road. Right. And um, at least for part of my high school. And so Laguna was always kind of a getaway for a lot of us, you know. Mm-hmm. So when I had a chance, when I was on my own, um, I moved to town in the early 70s. And that that began my Laguna living experience and my meeting a lot of the local musicians like Stephen Bethwood and Richard Steckel. I met them almost immediately. Will Brady, mm-hmm. I met it, uh, as well about that time. And All they great were, people, know, by the way. All great people, and they were all working in bands, and it was such a, it was a hotbed of creativity and 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 good music, you know. And so it felt like I was really in the right place, and yeah, uh, and I was. You were in the I, right place. I you learned still a are. lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've come back. You know, I mean, we've all, but I realized it's a spiritual home in many ways, and mm-hmm. uh, in a lovely part of the world. You know, who, who can deny that? You know. Yeah. Lucky us. Yeah. So, uh, uh, do you mind talking about the missiles of October a little bit? No, of course not. Uh, I'll tell you a story about them. Uh, I was away for a long time in uh, Australia mm-hmm. for nearly 10 years, and my brother Paul was living in Laguna, right? So hmm. when I came back, of course I came down here to visit with him, and I looked around Laguna. I said, "Wow, what a great place!" You know, and uh, I went out one night, and here's this band, Missiles of October, and I was thinking to myself, "This has got to be one of the reasons why I've come back to America because this is amazing <laughs> stuff." I mean, you guys were amazing. So uh, let's talk about the quality of that band while you were in it. You know, it's it's always hard to be objective, of course, about something that you're in the middle of. You know, mm-hmm. but but, you know, we were talking earlier about how an audience may latch on to you and respond to what you're doing. That band resonated big time, you yeah. know, and we had, when we got going there at the Marine Room, we were packing the place on uh, Thursdays was the, actually, Paul and I started as a duo. We started mm-hmm. as an acoustic duo there, and the band kind of grew like bands will. And uh, when in its heyday, man, we were packing that joint, especially on a Sunday. Yeah, yeah, lying, lying around the corner. Yeah. And yeah. it was great. I mean, it's nice to have that kind of a thing in your hometown, you know, mm-hmm. uh, to the of extent course. that one can be a, a, a hometown hero, you know. We were certainly that for a, a while, and uh, everybody should experience that. You know, it's a great, you know, I mean, it, it, short of being world famous, uh being famous in your own hometown is a nice thing. So on a musical level, uh, it certainly was uh, up my alley because, and, and I have to say, I have to credit Paul, Paul Peterson, with setting the tone because he was choosing most of the material mm-hmm. and uh, he stuff to he related it. to. And mm-hmm. he was the lead singer, so um, that was only right. But mo- most, most of what he chose to do resonated with me and I think with everybody in the band. And, um, and it was somewhere between folk and, and R&B, you know, I mean, or country mm-hmm. sometimes. I could kind of span that, that, uh, those styles. But uh, it, was, it was certainly a wonderful experience, you know, and I look back on it now. And, and I think any of us as musicians, when we have a gig or a band that endures for you know, yeah, eight or ten years, and they're successful on a local level. That's that's hard to do. It's hard to achieve that. Well, let's talk about uh, how how you were feeling uh, when you were getting ready to leave the band. Because I remember talking to you about it. Mm-hmm. You, f- you felt that uh, the band was going in a direction that you didn't want to go in, or something like that. Uh, yeah, could you talk a little I, bit about that. What happens sure. sometimes in bands when it's time to part yeah. ways? Uh, yeah, I mean, we, most of us have been there, you know. Uh, I, I felt like we had started to stagnate. And some of the the plans we had to move out and beyond the confines, mm-hmm. you know, the friendly confines of uh, 
of Laguna. Local success, yeah. Yeah, Uh, and we certainly had uh, some opportunities and some plans. They, they, for lack of a better word, just fizzled out or we went off the, you know, we went off the road. Mm-hmm. And it, it took me a while to make the the move. It didn't happen overnight, but I just felt there were greener pastures for me at some point. And with regret, <clears throat> you know, I left the band because I loved it, you know, mm-hmm. but I just felt like it was, <clears throat> had it, it had ceased being a productive uh, vehicle for me. Yeah. And uh, so I took a leap of faith at one point and left and uh and it was kind of a leap into the unknown because you know it's one it's nice when you've got that that work schedule i could pencil out you know at least 12 nights a month i was working and often 20 um but to abandon that to leave that it can be a bit of a yeah you know scary scary uh a blow to the system (laughs) yeah just a candid recording of uh, the Missiles of October at the Marine Room in Laguna Beach with Bob Hawkins on the guitar. That was Paul Peterson, the singer, great vocalist. You're listening to The Guitar Life. This is a Believe podcast production. I'm your host, John Hoisenstam. My special guest today is Bob Hawkins. And if you're enjoying our show, please subscribe. Thanks very much. But it was great. I mean, ultimately, it was what I needed because... I was, you know, I, I threw myself out into the marketplace, as it were, and I met people I wouldn't have met otherwise, and played with musicians I wouldn't have played with, you know. Uh, so let me let me tell you, I, I remember when we uh, practiced a couple of times together. My feeling was, uh, this guy is really serious, and I don't know how serious I can be <laughs> at this point, having gone through similar things at what we're talking about, because I'd been in some real serious situations that were successful. And then I felt the same way you are talking, like uh, uh, there's got to be a better way to do this. Uh, There might be some other people that could do it with better. Uh, I'm looking for something that makes me happier. And then you look back and you go, hey, that was something really special, what I was doing. Uh, (laughs) But then then I remember uh, meeting you and practicing a couple of times. I thought to myself, you know, I'm— if, if Bob is going to be happy working with me, I'm really going to have to commit and we're going to have to really like get something going here because I can see it in his eyes that he really wants to do something. And he's a very serious uh, cat and and uh, takes a commitment to uh, to really excel in this field. And, you know, um, so I, it, it didn't scare me, but I, I knew I didn't want to let you down. So I kind of like, uh, <laughs> you, you know what I mean? I mean, I'm just, yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah. of course. Yeah. So uh, right right now, um, we're in this COVID thing. Can you talk a little bit about uh, how it affected your life? Um, well, <clears throat> being as busy as you can be in, in playing the guitar, all of a sudden we have this COVID thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. It was probably the first time, <clears throat> excuse me, it's probably the first time in, in maybe the whole, my whole playing career, as it were, that I had a three-month period of not working. <laughs> you know? That's unbelievable. And, really. And and at first it was, you know, on a couple levels, it was a, a shock and it was uncomfortable because uh, all of a sudden I wasn't having a, a regular income from gigging. Mm-hmm. And um, <clears throat> and the teaching got, you know, kind of decimated too because so many yeah, people didn't want to sit in the same room with, uh, with you. And, and I understand all that. <clears throat> but... All of a sudden, I had this. I had a schedule that was wide open. Now, it's funny because, uh, and it probably it's a product of of my age. But 
part of that I really started to enjoy. I kind of got a taste of what it might like be be like to be retired. The good side of being retired, you know, where you could kind of at my leisure decide I want to walk downtown for a couple hours and just, you know, just mm-hmm. kind of it, it gave me a view into a different uh, side of life, as it were. And part of that I liked, but I did get itchy and I got uh, to play again, you know. Mm-hmm. And so uh, it was disturbing to me that I might be losing, you know, that that's well oiled feeling, you know, when you're playing a lot. And um, right. you, you put the guitar in your hands and there's no having to get familiar with it. Uh, mm-hmm. I thought, gee, you know, if this goes on much longer, I'm going to start to feel it in my playing. And I hated that. So when I did start working again, it was a relief. And, uh, and, and I realized that it was still part of who I am. And I really want to do it still, mm-hmm. you know. No, you just had a, you had a vacation. <laughs> in a way, it was kind of a vacation, well, and I, and I'm I'm lucky because I'm in a living situation. I'm house sitting for some friends, and my overhead is very low. Now, if it hadn't been that way, yeah, I might have really been hurting, you know. And uh, you're being looked I, after by the gods of music. I guess so. Maybe I don't know. You know, <laughs> I thank you, gods of music. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I will burn some incense in your honor. Yeah, thank here you. Do that for me too. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Uh, you know, Seinfeld, you know, he said uh, in an interview, I think I was watching a Tonight Show, he said, we're all in detention. <laughs> he said this COVID thing is like being in detention. Remember, yeah. if you ever got put yeah. in detention in school, you're there to comp- to contemplate your bad doings, your, uh, right. you know, your, your bad behavior. And uh, I, that's a... That's going around socially a lot, I think. People are finger-pointing. Oh, yeah. You know, we're all finger-pointing now. Uh, it's your fault, you know. You made me well, do it, you know, that kind of stuff. Uh, my heart goes out to the people who are really the small business owners who, are, who have been hit hard. Like, I mean, not to get into naming names, so don't have to, but some of the people I work for, uh, who I'm fortunate to work for, who have been able to install the outdoor dining thing, uh, which is what, you know, that's why I'm working, because I'm able to play at these venues that have outdoor dining. I mean, some of these entrepreneurs have been hit so hard. Mm. And, and, uh, and boy, it's, it's, that's who, who my heart goes out to, is these people that are just on the, on the knife's edge with this whole shutdown stuff. So yeah. anyway, I count, my, I count my blessings, you know. Well, I was at uh, Whole Foods yesterday, and there was this lady fondling every stalk of celery, you know, <laughs> touching every head of lettuce, you know, rolling mm-hmm. carrots, you know, trying to... F- I said, lady, we're in the middle of a pandemic, you know, I, I can't buy that now. You're you're like... Con-. She says, well, I'm a, a professional homeop- homeopathy person. I can't possibly be sick. But, you know, oh. it's, you know, but that's the problem. <clears throat> you know, people just take it for granted that this thing that we're dealing with is... Uh, you know they're immune to it, but we're really not. Yeah. It's it's definitely a serious. Uh, so, you know, so she didn't have rubber gloves on or anything. Like <laughs> of course not. She was some yeah. customer that th- thought she was above and beyond it all. You know. Yeah. So yeah. so I, I you know there's a lot of people out. I mean maybe half of our society feels that way that this whole thing is, uh, you know, it's not anything for them to worry about. But look what it's doing to everyone. I mean it's, you know, it's making well, people even sick. If, you know? Even if you if you did feel that way out of respect, you would you know when you go into a public place, it would seem to me if you're going to start fondling the celery, you you, you should be well, you know putting the gloves on and the whole deal, you know. Well, I mean, if everybody or, was behaving like that, Bob, these poor people that have these businesses wouldn't have to uh, close down, because if yeah. everybody would come in with the same sort of uh, respect, you know, and, and conscientious courtesy, right? Right, uh, right. Th- then all, everything would be running normally right now. We'd all be wearing masks, and people would be wearing rubber gloves, and we wouldn't be coughing in each other's faces and stuff like that. Yeah. Gosh. By the way, I've got a great body condom that I've been wearing around town, actually. <laughs> I, I, is that from a Naked Gun uh, two and a half? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it is. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, that's the only one I've ever seen in my life, the body condom and condom and uh, <laughs> naked gun, yeah. Hey, so uh, uh, at the moment, uh, I saw that you were playing in another uh, kind of an acoustic trio. Uh, what is that uh, thing well, that you're doing the, right now? Well, the one gig that I have uh, downtown uh, at the Lumberyard, um, I've been really fortunate. Uh, I've, I've got Thursday, Friday, Saturday nights, and I basically have got carte blanche to do with them what I want. And I'm I'm lucky to know some really really talented players, uh, and so I'm, mm-hmm. I'm kind of drawing from that pool. And so sometimes it'll be I'm, I'm playing mainly electric actually, but uh, I'll have okay. me and a keyboard player and a drummer, for instance. Uh, I don't know if you know Rock Dedrick. Um, I don't know him. Sorry. Great drummer and singer. Um, his normal road gig is with Ziggy Marley, but he's played with a lot of people. And okay. his sister, he's a pro. His sister. Gail Dedrick is a fantastic keyboardist. She was Natalie Cole's musical director for 13 years. Wow! So, what a family! Yeah, no, they're they're a powerhouse. So I love working with them, and I'll, we'll play it as a trio sometimes without bass, uh, which is you know a bit of a challenge sometimes. And then uh, I don't know if you know John McKnight, multi instrumentalist. Amazing ta- uh, talent, Thanks. and I, I met him through Rock and Gale. Sometimes he and I and Gale will do the gig. Uh, my friend Suzanne Morissette Cruz, who's a great percussionist and a singer, uh, will do it. So I'm mixing and matching the, the kind of this pool of players that I've got. And uh, see, so you're attracting really... pros. Yeah. Yes. It's great. Uh, it's really it's really fun and. Uh, Tonight, Suzanne and her husband, Bobby, are going to do it with me. We're doing it as a trio. So it keeps me on my toes because, you know, I don't get into any one lane. I have to I have to be thinking more on my feet. Some of the gigs, we're doing some jazz standards. Some of the gigs, it's, you know, me and my, like, folk and folk rock tunes that I sing. And so it's, it's really good for me musically, too, you know. I'm so happy to hear somebody talk like this because... For the last year, or ever, or since March anyway, nobody's been working regularly. To, and yeah. to hear you to hear you say that you've got a three nighter, um, yeah. that's fantastic. I'm so happy for you. It, I I am I know how lucky I am because I know a lot of cats, especially guys who had good road gigs. They're just high and dry. Do people come in yeah. with masks? Yes. Okay. Yeah, and we 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 are required to mask up when we leave our stage area. In fact, we're singing behind a, a, a wall of plexiglass. <laughs> That's, That's amazing. That's the age we live in. At least it sounds and, uh, like they've uh, done all the precautionary uh, exercises oh, yeah. and preparation oh, yeah. for this sort of thing, which is great, which everybody should do, you know. Oh, yeah. No, I'm, again, I, I, my heart goes out to these entrepreneurs because they're doing everything they can to, uh, to adhere to the rules and still stay open, you know. Yeah. And uh, and Kerry Redfern, the owner of the Lumberyard, is that kind of man. I mean, he's he's not only an experienced restaurateur and you know uh, a successful entrepreneur, but he's a guy that wants to play by the rules, and he's doing everything he can to to keep his business alive. And he's had help with, from the city, which is you know you, you kind of would hope that would be the case that they want to help him. Um, Good but anyway, him. and I should mention that Saturday nights, that night has been, uh, Beth and Steve and I are doing it as a trio, usually on, on Saturdays. So, Every Saturday? Yeah, usually. Oh, I should come down there and throw food at you guys. You better, man. If you don't, Celery stalks. <laughs> but, but here's the thing. you got to make sure that you get off to the side so you don't hit that plexiglass with that rotten tomato that you're going to throw. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're funny. <laughs> or whatever you decide to throw. Yeah. Hey, this has been really great talking to you, Bob. I think uh, bumping into you on the street, seeing you, something in my head said, hey, Bob Hawkins, he'd be a good interview. Let me go talk to him. <laughs> and and truly, you're great to talk to. And I'm proud oh, uh, to know you. You're a real uh, stand-up guy. And, uh, geez, what, what do you think, uh, being interviewed by uh, Mr. Heusenstamm on The Guitar Life? How's it going? <laughs> well... I've enjoyed the hell out of this, and uh, and I could keep going. I mean, there's so much more to talk about. Oh, I know. You know it, we could go on for, for a whole lifetime, I think. Yeah. I mean, uh, 
just on how to hold a pick, you know. <laughs> how to hold a pick? Which oh, I didn't even get into the amplifiers and the guitars and the amps, hybrid picking, you know. Yeah, uh, the whole thing. But you got it all, Bob. Groupies. And, yeah. Oh no, I don't want to go there. I'm married. <laughs> I can't go there. Yeah. Okay, we won't. I I always am kicking them out of the the uh, the back room and the stage area. I can't yeah, well, afford to be seen with somebody. Happen, right? For yeah, me, no, that's it's terrible. Like, that's in the yeah. long dusty past. But this beautiful um, uh, uh, black woman, she looked like a ten, a model, right? Mm. She came up to me at a gig and she said, "I'm a model. I can have whatever I want. I want that vest you're wearing." And I was thinking yeah. to myself, I was thinking to myself, what about what's in it? <laughs> but but then I said, no, you can't have it. My wife and my daughter gave it to me for my birthday. Ooh. You know, so it's like, you know, you got to really like be tough when you're out there. <laughs> you're a tough dude. Yeah. <laughs> hey, John, it's yeah. been a real pleasure and uh, and an honor because uh, I've always admired your artistry. Oh, thanks. And, um, I appreciate that. And your that. creativity. And, That's the uh, only reason why I'm talking to all you guys, because uh, you, you're going to say <laughs> nice things about me, so it's great. <laughs> yeah. Damn it, I had to do it. Yeah. Hey, I look forward to uh, bumping into you again, and maybe I'll make it down there Saturday night, okay? All right, see ya. Missiles of October. Man, there's a lot of people up there that like those guys. Great band. My special guest today has been Bob Hawkins. I'm John Heusenstamm. This is The Guitar Life. We're a Believe podcast production. If you've been enjoying our show, please subscribe. Thanks very much for listening. See you later. When everyone's on the same page, getting things done at work is easy. Make a bigger impact at work with Grammarly. Grammarly is your secure AI writing partner that allows your team to make their point and move faster. You can even save time by going from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds. Join the 96% of Grammarly users that say it helps them craft more impactful writing. Sign up and download Grammarly for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.